And we will read from the book of Acts in four different places. And based on the sermon theme in the bulletin, I trust you can figure out that what connects the four passages is they all speak of the same Barnabas. Let's begin by reading from Acts chapter 4. And we'll read verses 32 through 37, which passage introduces this man. Acts 4, verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price, prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Next, let's turn, turn to Acts 9. And we will read verses 26 through 31. This is after the conversion of Saul. Acts 9, verse 26. Now, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared, Unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Next, let's turn to chapter 11. And here we will read verses 19 through 30. Now they which were persecuted excuse me, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And a hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they, should, they would cleave unto the Lord." For he was a good man, 
and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent to the elders by the hands of Barnabas, and Saul. And now one more passage, Acts 15, verses 36-41. through 41. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark, But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went throughout through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. And now all of these passages will be in view for tonight's sermon, but the text is from the first passage we read, Acts 4, verse 36. Acts 4, verse 36. And Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus. And then we'll read verse 37 to Having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Beloved congregation, when you think about the men and the women in the book of Acts, who is it that comes to mind? Probably for most of us, one of the first people we think about is Paul, the great missionary in the apostolic era. Or maybe we think of Peter and his boldness in the face of opposition. Or maybe we think of Stephen, the first martyr of the New Testament church. And these men do indeed loom large in the book of Acts. But along with them, there are many other noteworthy characters. There are the Deceitful and self-seeking Ananias and Sapphira. There is Philip the evangelist. There's Simon the sorcerer. There's the Ethiopian eunuch trying to make sense of Isaiah 53. There's Tabitha, a woman full of good works. Cornelius the centurion and so on. But now among all these figures, If you were asked, who is it that comes to mind when you think of the book of Acts? If it had not been for 
the theme for the sermon being put in the bulletin. And if it had not been for the Scripture reading, would anyone have thought of Barnabas? It's a name we're familiar with. But for whatever reason, he is someone who's easily forgotten about. He sort of gets lost in the shuffle of all these different characters that are part of the book of Acts. And in a way, that's altogether appropriate. Because that's what Barnabas himself would have wanted. Because as we will see, a part of his character is that he was more than willing to fade into the background. But though he is a figure about whom we do not think very often, really we should think of him more often. Because in Barnabas, we have an excellent example of a godly man, a church man, who is worth emulating. And that is true because more than anything, Barnabas shows us the power of the Spirit of Christ to work in the hearts and lives of His own to transform us from sinners into saints. So that insofar as we strive to follow the example of Barnabas, really what we're doing is striving to follow the example of Jesus Christ. And my prayer with this sermon is that God will use it to stir up within all of us a desire to likewise be sons and daughters of consolation, even as this Barnabas was. So with that in mind, let's consider these various passages, and especially Acts 4, verse 36, using as our theme very simply, Barnabas, the son of consolation. First, we'll look at his godly character. Second, at the spiritual fountain of it, that is, of his godly character. And then third, the worthy example in it, in his godly character. Barnabas, the son of consolation. His godly character, the spiritual fountain of it, and the worthy example in it. We are first introduced to Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. There we read, and Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It's noteworthy that Barnabas is not this man's original name. He's introduced as Joses. We would say Joseph, and the name Barnabas is given to him later on, and we'll have more to say about that in a moment. The end of the verse tells us he was a Levite from the country of Cyprus, and Cyprus is that island in the Mediterranean Sea to the west of the land of Judea where Barnabas will go with Paul on their first missionary journey. And for whatever reason, though he's from Cyprus, he moved to Jerusalem perhaps because he had family there as he is a cousin to John Mark, which means... John Mark's mother is Aunt Mary to Barnabas. 
We also know that Barnabas was a man of some financial and physical means because the beginning of verse 37 says, having land, that is having a field. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he had enough wealth to purchase a field to own property. But now aside from those things, we know very little about Barnabas. We are not told anything about his conversion, for example. Whether he was converted on the day of Pentecost when so many were brought to faith, or whether he was converted when he witnessed the miracle of the healing of the lame men, or whether it was by some other means, we are not told. Although evidently it took place quite early because he's being introduced to us already at the end of Acts chapter 4. But it's okay that we don't know more about the man himself because none of those things that fall under the category of biographical information really matter. Because what matters and what Scripture itself emphasizes is the godly character of this man named Joseph, surnamed Barnabas. And that he was indeed a godly man is the explicit testimony of Scripture. We read of that in Acts 11, verse 24. For he, Barnabas, was a good man. Good in the eyes of the Lord. Good as one who was justified on the basis of Christ's saving work. And good because he was also sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ and made holy even as the Lord is holy. He lived a godly life. And evidently, consistently so, so that the apostles gave to this man the name Barnabas. That's what we read in Acts 4, verse 36. And Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. Joseph did not give himself this name, but the apostles, recognizing his character, gave him a name that matched that character and the reputation that he had developed in the early church. They called him Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. It's describing his character. And now it's true that son of consolation can also be translated son of exhortation so that perhaps a part of the reason he was given this name is that he was a gifted teacher. He was good at instructing and we see him exhorting later on in the book. But I do believe that King James captures it when it calls him the son of consolation. He was a type of man who comforted those around him who sought to help, who sought to be an encouragement to those in need. And that was the outstanding feature of his godly character. And that's what we see when we take the different passages that speak of Barnabas and piece them together. What we see is this picture of a godly man. And there are really four specifics to this man's Godly character that come out when we look at the history as a whole. And the first aspect of his godly character is that Barnabas was a friend 
and comforter of the poor, the needy, and the outsider. That's evident from the first thing we read about him in Acts chapter 4. Though he was a wealthy man, he had financial means. He sold the land that he had and gave the money to the apostles to care for the poor. This was a man who was willing to make a sacrifice for the sake of the good of the others, specifically the poor in the church. And that part of his character comes out in the following chapters as well in his interactions with Saul. For example, in chapter 9, in chapter 9, we have the the record of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And in the verses that we read, we read of this Saul of Tarsus coming back. And now he comes back a changed man. He left Jerusalem as a persecutor of Christ. And he's coming back to Jerusalem as a preacher of Christ. But no one in Jerusalem knows that. Or if they've heard rumor of it, they're suspicious of it. And so that when when Saul of Tarsus comes back to Jerusalem, the believers are afraid of him. That's what we read in Acts 9, verses 26 and following. When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he assayed, he tried to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Saul shows up to church one day and he's rejected. They say, get out of here. We want nothing to do with you. And can any of us blame them? This is the same man that had previously hauled some of their believing relatives into prison. This is the believers exercising a level of caution. So while we cannot fault the saints of the early church. What happens next makes Barnabas' love for the outsider all the more commendable because of what we read in verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. It's astounding when you stop to think about it. Barnabas took him. He's willing to sit down with the Saul and to hear him out, to listen to him, to hear his story and to believe him ultimately. And then to stand up for Saul of Tarsus, to be his advocate, to take Saul by the hand, as it were, and bring him to church with them and say, it's okay, everyone. God has worked a work of grace in this man's heart and life. Barnabas was a friend of the outsider. And he shows this same friendliness, this same love and comfort to Saul a second time later on in his life. Because in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas has been sent to Antioch because there's a church that's been forming there and seeing the work, recognizes there's a place here for Saul. That's what we read in verse, Acts 11, verses 25 and 26. 
This is after he's seen the Lord adding much people to the church there. We read, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Saul had been sent to Tarsus, back to his hometown. And likely, most people forgot all about him. Most people didn't think about Saul of Tarsus anymore, but Barnabas remembered him. And when he sees an opportunity for service in the church, he he goes and fetches Saul from Tarsus and brings him and introduces him to the church at Antioch so that Saul can serve there. And when you put these things together, you see that this Barnabas was a friend, a comforter of the poor, of the needy, of the outsider. He was a man who helped others out. Who was willing to plead the cause of others. The religion of Barnabas was a religion that was pure and undefiled because surely he visited the fatherless and the widow. This is a man who clearly had the qualifications of an office bearer which include that he's given to hospitality, that he's a lover of hospitality, that is a a lover of strangers. That is the first part of the godly character of this man. He was a friend, a comforter of the poor, the needy, and the outsider. Secondly, Barnabas loved the church and was devoted to the church of Jesus Christ. He was a man who was ready, willing, and eager to serve in whatever capacity he could. He was an active member in the church and a diligent office bearer. And that comes out from the fact that Barnabas fills whatever role is needed of him. In Acts chapter 11, they need someone to go to Antioch and to encourage the believers there. So Barnabas goes. And we read of that in Acts 11, verse 23. Who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. He comes and he encourages the believers. And he directs them to Jesus Christ and calls them to cleave to Jesus Christ as new converts. But then after that, there's more work for him to be done because the end of the chapter tells us that there's a collection taken for the churches in Judea and who is it that's entrusted with the funds to bring them to Jerusalem? It's Barnabas. And then in Acts 13, he's set apart to be a missionary on behalf of the churches to bring the Gospel to places it's never been before. In Acts 15, we see him Attending the Jerusalem Council, that first broader assembly. He was a delegate to the assembly and he he actively participated in the deliberations. And then after that Jerusalem Council had finished, Barnabas is called upon by the churches to take the, the decisions, the decrees, and bring them to the different churches because they could not just print an Acts of Synod and mail it off. And you start to, to piece together these different parts and you see that Barnabas was a man who loved the church. He was devoted to the church. He served in the church. 
That is, he was a church man. Really in both senses of the word. An office bearer, that's sometimes what we mean when we speak of a churchman. But a churchman, the way it's used it seems more commonly, is that man in the church who's an active member of the congregation. Whose life is wrapped up in the church. He's a living member in the congregation. That was Barnabas. And this was true of him because he delighted in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Acts 11, verse 23. Who when he came to Antioch and had seen what? The grace of God. He was glad. He rejoiced to see Christ at work through His Spirit calling His people out of darkness and into His marvelous light. It thrilled His soul to see that. And thus it was love for Christ that led Him to serve the church. And so great was His devotion that He was willing to suffer for the cause of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So that in Acts chapter 13, when He's on the a missionary journey with the Apostle Paul, we read this in verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas. He endured persecution. And so much so that when he comes to the Jerusalem council, what the others say about him is what's said of him in Acts 15, verse 26. Speaking of Barnabas and Paul, they are men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Barnabas loved the church. He was devoted to the church and he served faithfully in the church of Jesus Christ. Third, Barnabas was a man of great humility who rather than seeking the praise of men, was willing to take a back seat. And again, we see this throughout the history. We get a glimmering of this already in Acts chapter 4 when Barnabas gives his gift to the church. And that does not come out in chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, but it does come out in what follows and the contrast. Because what happens immediately after that is Acts chapter 5, and the history of Ananias and Sapphira. Who did not give for the poor out of love for Christ and the church, but who gave because they wanted the praise of men. They, want everyone, they wanted everyone to speak highly of Ananias and Sapphira. So that by way of contrast, it's obvious that was not Barnabas' motive. He wasn't in it for the praise of men. He wasn't seeking his own glory. That comes out too in Acts 11. And the fact that he goes to fetch Saul of Tarsus. If Barnabas wanted the praise of men, if he wanted to have a great name, well, Antioch was his opportunity. He could have been the man in Antioch. But that's not what he's interested in. And thus he goes and finds this young, gifted, capable Saul. He recognizes his gifts and he's willing to bring him back. 
Because he's not interested in his own glory, but he's interested in the advancement of the cause of Christ. And that becomes even clearer on their first missionary journey. When Paul and Barnabas go out together, when they leave Antioch, Barnabas is clearly the leader and Paul is the protege. And we say that because when we read those chapters and you read those two names side by side, it's consistently Barnabas first and then Saul. Notice that in chapter 12, verse 25, for example. Chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. And then in Acts 13, verse 2. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work. Then again in verse 7. Toward the end, uh, Sergius Paulus called Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas is consistently mentioned first because he's the leader. But that changes. So that after they leave the island of Cyprus, it's now Paul who stands at the foreground. So that in Acts 13, verse 13, we read, now when Paul and his company, Barnabas isn't even named, it's just Paul and his company, which includes Barnabas. And then later on, for example, in Acts 13, verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas wax bold. Paul is now the the chief speaker of the two. And what's so noteworthy is that Barnabas was perfectly okay with this. And the evidence of that is that when it comes time to do a second missionary journey, and Paul comes to Barnabas and says, let's go again and visit those churches, Barnabas is not saying, I don't really want to go with you anymore. But he's glad to go. He's no problem with Paul standing on the foreground and him taking a back seat. He's glad for it. And what all this shows us is that Barnabas was a man of humility. Now that does not mean he was a pushover. That's clear from the verse we just read. Acts 13, verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. He could be bold when he needed to be bold. But the point is that Barnabas was the exact opposite of that man named Diotrephes about whom John writes and says of Diotrephes that he loved to have the preeminence. Barnabas did not need the preeminence. He did not want the preeminence. That's not what drove him. He did not labor for his own glory. He labored for the glory of God. It was not love of self that was his motivation, but it was a love for others. And thus he was willing to defer to others. He was glad when another man emerged as the leader and he could then just sort of fade into the background. He was a humble man. Fourth and finally, 
Barnabas was a peacemaker. First, he was a man who was a friend and comforter of the poor, the needy, and the outsider. Second, he was a man who loved the church, who was devoted to the church, who served the church. Third, he was a humble man who did not need the preeminence. And fourth and finally, he was a peacemaker. And that's evident from Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is when Paul and Barnabas agree to go on another missionary journey, but there is a disagreement. There's a dispute over whether or not to take John Mark. Verse 37, And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Barnabas wants to give John Mark a second chance. Which, by the way, is further evidence of his being a friend of the needy, the outsider. But the point here is he was willing to give him that second chance, but Paul was not willing. Paul did not want to take him along because John Mark had left them at a certain point on their first missionary journey. And there was a pretty sharp contention about this. That's the language of verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Paul and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And now what's noteworthy here is not so much that they could not come to an agreement about whether or not to take John Mark, but that they did come to an agreement about how to handle this. We're going to divide the work. Barnabas and John Mark will go one way, and Paul and Silas will go another way, so that both of them remain committed to the cause of the spread of the gospel. And what's also noteworthy is that Barnabas was willing to take the less exciting work, if you can put it that way. He was willing to go back to Cyprus where the Gospel had already been and just strengthen the churches there. And he was content to let Paul do the the trailblazing, as it were, the exciting work of bringing the Gospel to places it had never been. And what this shows us is that Barnabas was a peacemaker. Barnabas was not that man who says, it's my way or the highway. Get on board! But he was a man who as much as possible was willing to live peaceably with all men. He was a man who endeavored to keep the unity in the church of Jesus Christ. And that's in harmony with his humility, his willing to put others before himself. He was a peacemaker. It's quite the picture of a man, isn't it? Barnabas is not somebody we think about very often. He's somebody easily forgotten. But when you take the different passages that speak of him and put them all together, what emerges is a portrait of a godly man. 
But there is the question, what explains His godly character? And the explanation is that we see the power of Christ at work in His heart and life. That is, the spiritual fountain of this man's godly character is the Spirit of Christ at work in him. And that's evident, first of all, from the broad, overarching context that is the entire book of Acts. We often speak of this book of the Bible as the Acts of the Apostles. And while there's some validity to that name for the book, the reality is that it's not quite accurate because this book really records the Acts not so much of the Apostles, but of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ. Because what's the first main event recorded for us in the book of Acts? Well, as we were reminded, it's Christ's ascension up into heaven. So that everything that follows in the book of Acts is a record of Christ's work from His throne in heaven in and for the church. And more specifically, it's a record of His work that He carries out by and through His Spirit. Because what's the second main event recorded for us in the book of Acts? It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church at Pentecost. So that everything in this book is a record of the Spirit's work in the hearts and life of His own. The Spirit's work in spreading the Gospel and making the word of the apostles effectual. And that applies to everything in the book. And that applies here as well to Barnabas. So that when we look at Barnabas and we see his godly character, we must recognize that the spiritual fountain of it is the work of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ in and through His Spirit. So it's evident on the one hand from the broad overarching context, but it's more than that because this is the explicit word of Acts chapter 11, verse 24. Acts chapter 11, verse 24, we read this concerning Barnabas. He was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. What explains his godly character? He was a man full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. That is, the explanation is not anything in Barnabas himself. This man did not make himself to differ, but he was full of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of Christ sent from Christ in heaven to come and to live and to dwell within him, to work in his heart. So the first point of the sermon is not really about the greatness of a man, but it's about the greatness of the transforming grace of Jesus Christ at work in our hearts. He was full of the Holy Ghost. And it's added, he was full of faith. Faith in Christ crucified. Risen and ascended up into heaven. He embraced Jesus Christ. And he ever looked to Jesus Christ for the strength, for the grace that he needed to live in a manner pleasing unto God. So that the spiritual fountain of this man's godly character was Christ 
and His Spirit and grace at work in Him. And now that means that when we see this godly character, we're not so much looking at the character of the man as we are seeing the character of Christ Himself shining through the man. For as we just said, what explains this is that this man was full of the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit who came and took a dead sinner named Joseph, made him alive again, and worked faith in his heart. And a part of that work of the Spirit was taking this man and again conforming him to the image of God. That is, this Joseph, who would later be called Barnabas, was recreated in the image of God, which is to say, the image of the Son. So that it's the, the image of Christ that's ultimately shining through this man, and the character of Barnabas is a reflection of the character of Christ Himself. Which is to say that it's Christ who is the Son of consolation. And that's the testimony of Scripture itself. For if you remember that aged saint named Simeon who was waiting to see the Messiah, if you go to Luke 2, verse 25 and read that verse, you will read that he was waiting to see the consolation of Israel. The same word. Christ is the Son of consolation. So that all of the specifics of the godly character that we saw in Barnabas are really reflections of the character of Christ. Christ is the One who is the friend and comforter of the poor, the needy, and the outsider. In a far greater way, He came to care for the poor spiritual sinner. As 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 teaches us, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His riches might be, that ye through His poverty might be rich. And understand, He did not give up a field. He gave up His own life for the sake of spiritually poor and needy sinners. And He was a friend of the outsider so that during His earthly ministry, He was willing to sit down with the publicans, with the sinners that the religious leaders had no interest in. Jesus Christ was gracious to harlots, to the demon-possessed, so that Christ is the Comforter and friend of the poor and the needy and the outsider. But it doesn't stop there, for is not Christ the One who truly loves the church? Who is devoted to it and serves the church? 
with Barnabas, we could put together a long list of all the different ways that he served the church. But when you come to Christ, you can put together a far greater, a far longer list. Because Christ is our chief prophet, our eternal king, our only high priest. He's our redeemer. He's the shepherd who feeds us, leads us, and protects us. He is our head who represents us. He is our bridegroom who sanctifies us and cleanses us and nourishes us. And the list can go on and on and on about all the different ways that Christ shows His love for the church and in ways in which Christ is devoted and serves the church. And was not Jesus Christ characterized by a perfect humility? As He Himself said, about himself, I am meek and lowly in heart. Christ told his disciples, I came not to be served by others, but to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many, so that Paul would write about Jesus Christ in Philippians 2 that he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And to add on top of all of that, is not Christ the peacemaker? prophesied of Him already in the book of Isaiah that He would be the Prince of Peace. Ephesians 2, verse 14 tells us He is our peace because He is the One who reconciles us who were the enemies of God back to God so that we can now have peace with God. We can have fellowship with God. He is the Peacemaker. And what of all this is to say is that when we see the godly character of Barnabas, what we're really looking at is a dim reflection of the character of Christ Himself. And you understand that then that character of Barnabas is merely this, the fruit of Christ's saving work because that's the significance here. When we talk about the character of Christ, it's not just, well, Barnabas was really good at following His example. And the application for us is not just, well, follow His example. That, that is a part of it. But it's not the main thing. The main thing is that this is our salvation. It's exactly because Christ is a friend and a comforter of the poor and the needy. It's because Christ loved the church and was devoted to the church and served the church. It's exactly because Christ was characterized by a perfect humility because He is our peace, that we then have salvation. And what's so beautiful about that salvation is that a part of it is that Christ then works His own character into our hearts. Because He not only justifies us so that we're delivered from the guilt of our sin, but He also sanctifies us to deliver us from the pollution of our sin. He restores us to His own image. 
He's ever molding us and shaping us according to His image. So that His own character is made to shine forth in our hearts and lives even as it did in the life of Barnabas. And it's when we have that foundation in place that we can then turn back to a Barnabas and see him as a worthy example worth emulating. Because you see, Barnabas is a good example. And now as we've just explained, that's true because Barnabas is really a reflection of the character of Christ. So that for us to follow the example of Barnabas, for us to emulate a Barnabas, is really for us to follow and to emulate Christ Himself. And we do that not as those who are trying to earn God's favor, but as those who are thankful for the salvation that Christ has accomplished for us. With that foundation in place, we do need to see tonight as a church that the church needs men and women like Barnabas. Oh yes, the church needs those bold, prominent, vocal leaders like a Peter and a Paul. The church needs men like James and John, those brothers whom Jesus called Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder. But just as much, if not more, the church needs sons and daughters of consolation. Those who do not need to stand on the foreground. Those who have no desire to be a leader in a prominent position. But who are nevertheless important parts of the member, excuse me, important members of the body of Christ. So are there any Barnabases here? Who among us will strive to be a son of consolation, a daughter of consolation? For the church needs those who are willing to be friends and comforters of the poor, the needy, and the outsider. The church needs those who have been given much from a financial point of view and who are willing to give as the Lord has blessed them. The church needs those who are willing to visit the fatherless and the widow. To sit down and spend some time with the aged saints who are shut in. Go to visit them. Talk with them for a while. Because they can no longer come here. 
The church needs those who will cook meals for the sick. Who will reach out to those who are hurting, who are struggling in one way or another. The church needs those who will befriend the friendless. And the forgotten. To take others under their wing. And note well that that includes those who have no blood family in the church. Many of us are related to others in the congregation. Remember, there are many who are not related. Include them as sons and daughters of consolation. But the church needs not only those who are friends and comforters of the poor, the needy, and the outsider. The church needs those who will live lives of selfless devotion and service to the church. Who are ready to help out in whatever way is available to them to serve in any capacity that opens itself up so that whether it's serving on a retreat to plan a on a committee to plan a retreat, whether it's putting down your name on one of the sign-up sheets, whether it's showing up at a cleaning day, or volunteering in some other way, the church needs those who are going to help out in some way, any way. And the church does need those who would prefer to serve from a back seat, behind the scenes. There are some in the church who think, I want nothing to do with the position of leadership. It's not my personality to stand on the foreground. And the message of this sermon is that we need you. The church needs those people, if anything, more than the people who stand on the foreground who are in positions of prominence. The church needs those who help out in ways that no one else sees. The church needs the people who are willing to take the back seat and to lend a hand in this way or in that way. And oh, how the church needs peacemakers. Those who recognize that even when there's a sharp conflict, it still has to be handled in a right biblical manner. Those who are willing to put others before themselves to say, you take the path that's a little more appealing and I'll take the path that's less appealing. The church needs those who endeavor to keep the unity out of love for the church. So are you willing to be a son, a daughter of consolation. May Christ, by His Spirit,
work in the hearts of every one of us. So that to one degree or another, all of us might be called Barnabases. Sons and daughters of consolation. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for the Spirit of Jesus Christ sent from on high to dwell within us, to give us new life, and to conform us to the image of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, how lovely and beautiful His character is. And we pray that Thou wilt so work in our hearts that the character of Jesus Christ shines forth in us as dim reflections of His perfect character. Work that in us by means of this Word. And hear our prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.